have to focus on content and not on vanity metrics like number of followers number of likes etc welcome to indian art pranayam on today's episode we have divya ravi with us divya ravi is a bharatanatyam performing artist and a choreographer she holds a graduate degree in electrical and electronics engineering and an mba in marketing She navigated a career in branding and communications while evolving as a splendid artist and a respected soloist. Let's talk to Divya. Hello Divya, welcome to Indian Artpreneur. Hi Sohini, I'm extremely glad to be uh, sharing my journey with you on Kala Tapasya. So my first question to you is, you managed to perform at several places and won accolades both nationally and internationally did you ever face a dilemma to take dance full time so ever since i've been young my parents have always uh, been very particular that um, education is something that i have to not give up on uh, possibly because both my parents um, come from uh, you know ed- an education background my mother is a professor so it was always uh, important that i study and engineering seemed to be uh, a logical choice for me after uh, school because i preferred maths uh, to biology and um, all through my engineering um, i knew i wanted to um, i was always uh, very very fond of communication and i knew what i wanted to do something communicative but i didn't see an immediate path after engineering and so i joined uh, an it firm and i worked there for a couple of years but one fine day i decided to just um, quit and um, uh, intern with a social media marketing agency and because that's that's kind of where i thought i could explore um, my communication skills and that's when you know my passion for uh, marketing kind of really started and uh, that led me to do an mba in marketing and that that career path of being in marketing was something that really really fascinated me and i enjoyed um, uh, being a marketer alongside my uh, active career as a performer and this was only because i was very very particular um, that i work in the first half of the day and i dance in the second half of the day but i've also been very lucky to have some fantastic colleagues and bosses who uh, would really encourage me with uh, with my pursuit of the arts so in fact um, i had a wonderful boss who if he sees me in in office after 4 o'clock he'd be like what are you doing here go and practice done for the day leave so i've had uh, uh, i mean i've had a lovely journey that way and then uh, eventually of course i did see myself taking up you know dance more seriously eventually and uh, it's good that now that i've moved to the uk this was the right time for me to kind of make that choice whether i wanted to continue working here or you know just decide to take up dance full time and after coming here i've done that and i think it's been a, a it's been a wonderful journey as a full time dancer now uh, i did see this happening eventually and i was not sure when but i think um, uh, that's where i am now yeah how did you manage your time doing both uh, dancing and studying like uh, can you explain what a typical day looked like for you uh, when i was in college especially yes. engineering college i was um, uh, very actively a part of abhinava dance company which is a kathak uh, dance company based out of bangalore um so my college and um, abhinava uh, uh, our studio at abhinava was was just about you know 5 minutes away from each other so i would literally live in this area in bangalore called basavan gudi 
uh, I would sometimes hardly even go back home. I would end up staying at the studio uh, because we would have so many rehearsals, um, uh, classes, performances, back-to-back performances, a lot of travel. So um, literally, I would just, you know, hop from college to the dance studio and the next morning back to college. And you know, that that's how my life used to be. Uh, but, you know, having said which, engineering as a course is not a very, you know, simple thing, especially the branch that I did, which was um, electrical and electronics engineering, uh, tends to be a little, um, you know, as a branch, it tends to be quite taxing. You know, dance is what kept me going. And, and I, I liked that, you know, switch on, switch off mode. So when I was uh, in college, I would, you know, study. And I was the kind that would usually just pay attention in class whenever, you know, whenever I was in class. And then not just not study anything until uh-huh. just before the exam and then cram the last minute before the exam and go and give the exam. So <laughs> the rest of the time I was dancing. So I guess uh, it was a lot of uh, uh, time management. Now, this obviously means that you don't really have too much of a social circle because as soon as college is over, you tend to want to chill out with friends, but then you have to rush to class um, or a rehearsal. And then, and, and, you know, and so that's, that's a, that's a compromise. I wouldn't say it's a compromise. It's a choice that you have to make. And I will, I very happily made, uh, made a choice to just focus on, um, uh, you know, my, uh, uh time in college, uh, ac- academically. And after that, um, uh, you know, dance. Uh, now when I joined work, I was unable to continue performing full time with Abhinava Dance Company because, uh, uh, I mean, it's difficult to be a part of a company when you're working because of rehearsal schedules and all of that. And um, that was, uh, in a way, um, also opened up the avenue for me to explore dance as a soloist, um, which is what I, uh, uh, you know, I, I identify myself as today. So once I joined uh, work at Oracle and thereafter at uh, various marketing firms, the only way I was able to manage dance and um, work was because I was a soloist and my schedules depended on me alone and nobody else. And um, I was very particular, as I said, about working the first half of the day and the rest of the evening is for me to dance. So um, I would work, you know, either seven to three or eight to four, depending on how far my workplace was, and then come back in the evening and the rest of my evenings would definitely be dedicated for dance. Uh, weekends would end up, you know, being travel uh, for performances or, you know, classes, whatever. So even then, uh, social life really took a backseat. It's not something I'm very proud of. It's not something uh, that's everyone's cup of tea as well. But this is what, you know, I, I needed to do to be able to perform well at work as well as, you know, take forward what I wanted to do as a dancer. So, yeah, so I think I think that's pretty much how my life, those you know, uh, four years uh, of engineering went. Plus, after that, you know, all the time I've worked and everything else. Yep. So, uh, when you were studying, uh, like engineering, uh, like you said, you you were living in the studio, then you were going to college, and then coming back again. So, how was your parents' reaction to it? Like, were they supportive of your dancing, or were, were they like, "Oh my God, you're doing too much"? How was how, what so did for they say? my parents? I don't know. I think from a very young age itself, they've had a lot of faith and trust in me. They've really, you know, as long as uh, I didn't flunk an exam, I think they didn't really, you know, bother. In fact, my mother was the kind of, you know, you're working so hard. Why don't you like chill out a bit? Why are you just going here, there, everywhere? Why don't you just, you know, relax? Why, why are you stressing yourself out? So that's, so my parents, 
have really been extremely uh, i think it's because i am a very self motivated self pressurizing person i've never really had that pressure from my parents so it's literally the other way around so i think everything that i've done has been because i've been pushing myself too much to a point actually where it's, oh, it's it's gotten difficult but you know in terms of reaction that you said yes you know there were days my mother would worry for me not because of how is she you know is she going to study well or is she going to dance well but it was more because of you know why is she putting so much pressure on herself why is she doing so much why can't she just yeah. to relax and chill like a normal college girl yeah so i think as because i i and i i always i mean i did fairly okay in studies so they didn't have a problem with you know report cards not being okay i guess um yeah so i think they were okay they they were largely okay i've been again fortunate i've been really blessed because um you know i've had a very very supportive uh, family but you know i understand that could also not be the case for many many people so then i think it becomes with yeah. what conviction you put forth your choice to your parents now you know when i was young i told i I've, i've always uh, told my parents i'm going to be a dancer and i remember in the younger days yeah. i'm not sure if my dad was really okay with it uh because he was like you know but you know we you you need to study that like, i will study i never said i'm not going to study but i will be a dancer uh, so you know so i think they were also always worried about what you know what path i would take but i think eventually they kind of understood that you know um uh, whatever path i take i need to be happy uh, and and my happiness truly lies in dance dancing as much as you know i enjoyed everything else i did if you now you take away uh, a job from me it's it doesn't impact me as much as taking away dancing from me so that means obviously my biggest happiness is because of dance so i think at the moment uh, it, it didn't take them very long to realize that they knew it they knew dance was where my my true happiness was and uh, they've been uh, very very supportive of, of of it afterwards so um, then do you recall if it was your interest to dance that made you join dance class or was it like your parents saw trust in you and they made you join the dance class like so that's very it? interesting a question because my my mother and in fact even my father's family they all you know have a little bit of music knowledge in them and you know my um, mother used to sing for the all india radio so they they come from a very musical family oh. musical background but my mother always uh, felt that she 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 says at least i don't think that's the case but she says that uh, she was never confident enough because um, you know like she was very scared to go up on stage she was always little timid so she felt that learning um, an art form like dance would really make her daughters confident and um, uh, you know very uh, what do you say very capable of taking on every challenge that comes so she didn't you know so she put me in dance class at the age of 5 and um, i'm sure she didn't expect that it become such a big thing all she wanted was you know that my daughters grow up to be uh, graceful and uh, confident and all of that so that is how you know i was initiated in dance but since the very first day i joined class and i did my tatta dabus there was always a feeling of you know completeness a feeling of being so elated with the possibility of moving and also i think by nature i'm a very um, energetic person so uh, all that energy got channelized the right way because of uh, dance 
uh, which otherwise I don't know where it would have landed. I mean, you know, some of us do have a lot of energy, right? I think energy is the best word I could use. You have siblings and uh, they're also dancers? I have a younger sister who's also, uh, a, a, she's not a full-time dancer, but she is very, very passionate about dance. She learns Kathak too, uh, like you. She learns with Nandini Mehta and Murli Mohan at Nadam. So she she performs a lot with their troupe, uh, but uh, yeah. So I think for her, you know, it's very beautiful that it's a passion, and she's not really been very serious about taking it up as a career. Um, so it's 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 a nice uh, journey for me to see her um, uh, be so passionate about art, but not be so attached to it as a you know, oh my god, if if not for art, I would die sort of thing. So now coming to your um, the marketing side, <laughs> do you have any f- favorite marketing gurus or influence like Seth Godin or someone? <laughs> so you, it's very funny you ask because I mean there are a lot of wonderful marketers I follow. Um, there's this guy who I really really feel you know puts up puts out some really interesting trivia and content for marketers. His name is um, mm-hmm. Neil Patel. He is, I think, a fantastic marketer and I really feel he's um, he's someone I've very closely followed. And uh, most of um, the marketing that I know is because of my boss uh, and my lead. Uh, and I've been with them for uh, about two years. So I think everything that I learned, I owe it to them. Do you ever apply marketing concepts uh, promoting dance? 100%. Everything I do uh, on Instagram today See, we have to understand that especially in today's digital world, uh, post, uh, you know, uh, the pandemic that struck us, everything is moved digital. Yes. So, um, and digital in, in the digital world, there's so much content. So how does your content really stand out? You know, yeah. and that's where my, my experience in marketing and I was a content marketer. So all through I have worked as a content oh. marketer, not as a, uh, you know, um, uh, what do you say? I mean, there's so many parts and so many uh, parts that you can uh, take in marketing. And I chose the path of content because obviously I wanted to, you know, I, I uh, am a communicator and that's what I enjoy doing most. So as a content marketer, uh, everything that I have kind of done for different companies and different clients, I started doing that all for my own self, which is which is how I built my Instagram presence. Uh, and by the way, this is all 100% organic because a lot of people now take the oh. easy route, which is, you know, you just, um, you, you can, Pay you can promote your posts. Yeah. And you can, and you can, um, yeah. you get more followers or you get more likes. That's the easy route. And that's what most people do today. Uh, but me being, because I've come from, um, uh, the marketing space and also because I, my marketing gurus have literally, you know, they, they completely believe only in quality content and, uh, they would never, ever allow me to, you know, promote, um, even for my clients, I'm saying, you know, we, we, we would never go into a position where we'd have to promote posts because we'd always have to create top quality content. That's what I would do. That's what my team would do. So that's how, you know, we, we, that's, that's the same, um, uh, mantra that's uh, stuck by my head even now as a as a content marketer for my own uh, dancing. So everything that I put up on YouTube or Instagram or whatever I do is only you know whatever uh, reach it, it gets is probably because of um, the value of the content. Uh, but it's one hundred percent organic. Do you have any tips for our listeners? See, so it, there's one mantra in marketing which is uh, the basic mantra. It's called content is king. So if your content is good, it will find its way to people. So uh, you you will definitely need to 
um, especially in the digital clutter that is there today you if you have to stand out you have to really you know bring something that is that is of value that is different that is promising and that engages the viewers this is so important so you know we have to really uh, i mean since we're talking in the, in terms of arts right um, in an artistic perspective how aesthetic and how um, uh, yeah aesthetic is the word i will use how aesthetic is the content you put out firstly and then what is the value of the content is it because there's so much happening and everyone is so good so how are you going to stand out these are things we have to start exactly. thinking about so that's that's the first thing i would say because you you have to focus on content and not on vanity metrics like number of followers number of likes etc uh-huh. these are just vanity metrics because uh, i mean you know you you put up a long video on youtube and you share that link on instagram yeah. or facebook uh-huh. there might be so many people liking it but how many would have watched it you know through till the end and how many will watch it i mean why will people watch uh, a piece of content Uh, if it's not engaging enough so your it's important for you to make engaging content that people watch till the end and that's that's the only way you build your uh, integrity yeah. as as uh, as artists right so i think that's what so yeah. content is the main thing and not to not to worry about oh i need to get more followers how do i do it what will you do with so many followers what is the point of having followers if you are not <laughs> going to give them something to engage with on a regular basis sure So yeah so content regularity of content is also very important you post once today and then after some 3 months you come back you have forgotten already because we have to understand that the digital memory is very 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 short today i put up a post 3 days later nobody knows about it right that's that's how it works so um yeah so i think we need to be regular also and if we have to invest in creating good quality content we can do that not investing in promoting rubbish content but invest in creating good quality content like see for instance now you know the first thing after the pandemic uh, happened we invested in a good camera okay so because i knew that if there's going to be a lot of these live performances or shoots or whatever digital events i will i can't do that with a good phone camera so i i saved up and i invested in a good uh, dslr camera so uh, for me that is a better bet it's like a lifelong investment for me right so i mean it's it's yes. not something everyone can easily do i completely understand but for those who can instead of you know just just putting up rubbish videos and then um, um you know trying to promote them and then again i mean i don't know i i don't see i don't want to speak in a very generic fashion because to each their own but i think it's important uh, if you really if one really wants to survive in this digital clutter to invest in um in creating quality art. that's what i would say yeah thank you so much this this how this, this is this is really going to help our listeners like that's that was an amazing uh, input that we got from you <laughs> i hope so <laughs> do you still pursue your career in marketing yeah so i do do definitely take up freelance assignments i'm not working full time now Uh, but i do take up you know freelance assignments when i have the time because i uh, right now because i'm dancing full time and also you know i because of the lockdown i've been uh, i've started taking classes i teach and i i train i train um, i i learn from uh, maven ku maven anna and those classes just you know go on uh, almost uh, four five times a week so 
it's been a very very hectic time actually so in fact uh, i was able to in before pandemic i was doing a lot more freelance assignments than now now it's really been difficult but i do freelance because it's it's something that i enjoy doing right it, for me marketing was never like oh my god it's a job nine to five job that i have to do it's something that i really loved i mean if i was still working in an it kind of setup i may not have enjoyed it as much because it's not so me whereas um, uh, as a marketer right because it's 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 communicating it's writing it's things i enjoy doing so so i do try to keep um, uh, that side of me going uh, as much as i can as much as possible so uh, how how many hours of practice do you do today i mean you said like now it's increased so do you find time to practice and how long do you do it for so huh? the schedule keeps varying yeah. definitely uh, because of you know classes uh, the classes that i do so in any case i'm dancing in the classes so i try uh, my best to get at least 3 hours of practice a day um of, of movement practice and at least you know uh, half an hour or one hour of abhinaya a day so i try to at least get in 4 hours of proper practice um uh, at the rest of the time is definitely spent reading see because we have to understand that as um, artists Uh, not just as dancers but as artists who are growing who are trying to create our own work or who are you know trying to even the content that you want to create for digital media even if it's a 3 minute piece of content there's so much research that goes behind it there's so much reading that you have to do um you know and you have it's so important to listen to music what whatever style of music whether it's uh in in relation to your dance form uh, or uh, maybe another form of indian music folk music western music because that sense of musicality for me is so important in my dance uh so so while yes you know my hardcore practice may be about 3 or 4 hours the rest of the time is spent absorbing um other things allied to dance you know listening to discourses listening to lecture demonstrations and now again you know with the pandemic the number of uh, you know uh, expert conversations that we get online you just google or youtube and uh, there are webinars happening everywhere there are um, and all of them are so valuable uh, you know so i think it's uh, it's so every day i try to at least listen to one like them or one webinar or something like that you know so there's so much knowledge that's out there in the internet now thanks to the pandemic so yeah so i think uh, that's 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 how the day goes and then of course i uh, uh, i'm a sucker for good food i enjoy food so i enjoy cooking i spend a good one one and a half hours every evening cooking up something so that's how my day goes now so you were talking about how music plays such a vital role in your dancing and all that so when you get your music composed for your choreographies how do you go about it i mean do you have some favorite composers or like do you do research for music specifically what do you do see i have done a lot of my own uh, productions right and every time i've had like one go to composer which is um uh, uh, karnataka kalashri ds srivatsasa one of the most um, renowned oh, singers wow. of um, bangalore and karnataka in india as well Yes and then for my next production Rohit Bhat who is a fantastic uh, young singer who I've been working with so it's not I never have like really a preference uh, in terms of who is going to compose but I have a certain wavelength with people I like working with and who understand my style and I they, I understand their style so it's just easier to you know uh, get jump into the creative process right away so otherwise you know there's no real preference in terms of oh I will only work with this person or not with this person 
<laughs> it's never like that but because i have learned music and my husband is a musician um we yeah. are very i'm very particular about what makes me move and i and i i need to um you know be in tune with the music so first thing i do yeah. for all my work is i i research i have to research i don't just go and say this is my concept i need something i research i figure Absolutely. out what i want to present how i want to present it what is the format of the work or even if it's just one piece it doesn't have to be a full production even if it's one piece what is the format of the work what are the verses possibly that i will be using um and what are the ragas now because of the because i've learned music and because my husband's a musician we are able to you know decide what is the mood that we want in, in this particular part of the piece uh, and what is the raga that we think will align and so we we really almost yeah. have like a rough thing of how i want it to go uh, and that's when and then i take it to the composer so you know the homework is pretty much done and then for the composer because like i feel um at least at least this is what the composers i work with have told me they for them they find it much easier when the person who's uh, dancing or the person who's doing it is clear with what they want so then they they are not worried too much about uh, uh, you know okay will this work will this not work and or they can really you know get into the musical aspect of it which is their their uh, forte right for me as a person who's doing the production and it's my baby at the end of the day so i need my vision clear i can't bank on someone else for my vision right so once my vision and my rough idea is sorted and i know what i want mood wise or you know um format wise and then i give it to the composer then it's their job it's their forte to play with the music and that's that's what they do best and they do that So yeah and then in due course of course they will tell me you know what the raga doesn't work here divya or let's try this raga or let me do something else and then of then it's completely it's their uh, it's their liberty to work with it however however they feel that because that's when they know what um what is going to work best and not so that's that's pretty much my process uh, and now everything that i've been doing over the lockdown because you know we are we're pretty much in the uk and it's only both of us me and my husband uh we work together on on creating these pieces so he's my composer now although he he um, oh. uh, he is not yeah he's not really a music composer or anything but i think he is also now um, i've pushed him into it he has to do it he has no choice yeah. it's it's truly a treat to uh, anybody who's watching it i i personally love them i i i keep waiting for your videos so uh, i wanted to ask you about the your first production uh, manjari right yeah i i saw so many reviews about it and uh, there were so many great artists talking about it so can you uh, tell our listeners a little bit about uh, manjari and how you yeah. went through how did you make, how like what gave you that courage to go and make your own production and how did you go about the whole process manjari happened when i was 24 years old okay so looking yeah looking back i think i was just an audacious young person who had no clue and who just said i'm going to do something and because of that audacity went ahead and did something you know uh, i didn't think too much i just said you know what uh, i i i because i kept thinking about you know uh, my performances and i was performing quite a bit by then and um, as much as i loved 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 love i continue to love to perform traditional compositions and uh, you know uh, uh, age old poetry you know from from uh, especially see like the bhakti poetry from the 7th century or the 17th century all of that i really enjoy all of that somewhere i felt that uh, for certain audiences 
right not for all but for certain audiences i wanted to be able to present something that they could relate to irrespective of what their um their spiritual belief was or their religious belief was or whether they knew english or hindi or kannada or tamil whatever irrespective of language yeah. and then i kept thinking about what could be the one thing that really is so common to every culture every religion every way of life every faith and i figured that uh, flower is probably you know the most universal um, instrument that really you know brings people together no matter what you know i mean everyone uh, every lady would have at some point worn flowers on her hair and uh, you know people offer flowers to god yes irrespective of religion and you no know, you offer flowers when someone is dead irrespective of religion and uh, it's such a beautiful instrument and yet it is often the most overlooked um, uh, entity right the flower like you just see a flower you think oh it's beautiful and you walk past but how many stories a flower can tell and um, that's that idea just one night it just suddenly came to me and uh, then i spent uh, almost a year researching on it uh, i still remember from wow. november 20 uh, no not a year researching on it a year working on it my research took, took about 3 4 months so from november 20 uh, 14 to november 2015 i spent working on the piece on the on the production uh, and november 2015 i premiered it for the first time uh so this was an all in all full uh, full on original production because every piece was specifically written for for the production we've not sourced any lyrics from anywhere else so every piece was written uh, for this by shrivatsa sir again and um, again my research phase involved me figuring out the format of each of the pieces i figured that i will retain a margam format where we start with an alaripu and end with somewhat like a tilana uh, have a varnam and it's so beautiful because my initial research had so much data about so many flowers but when i just started you know trying to figure out the format it so beautifully you know fit into the concept of a margam because i had so much material about the lotus flower and i realized oh yes then it naturally lands in a varnam because a varnam is the most you know exhaustive piece in a in a margam right there's so much of content and when i had a piece i mean i had a flower um, called a parijata which is the uh, you know the i'm sure you know what the parijata is is associated with satyabhama there's a there's a story about that and satyabhama uh, because you know she's done a lot in um, in kuchipudi in bama kalapam and everything there's a natural you know uh, in, uh, um, uh, it naturally shifts towards telugu and uh, and hence i chose to do it in a javali format and um, yeah and then there i also had this um, so much material about this flower called the tarampu it is called the kedige flower in kannada so there's a sto- it's a cursed flower there's a story of why you know it's not used for the worship of La- lord shiva so then because it's cursed you know i kind of tried to uh, format it in a way where it is the flowers itself narrating the story of how it's cursed and repenting for what happened because it's been cursed because it, it said a lie or something like that huh so so in that uh, repentful mode kind of fell into the format of a padam which is a more serious piece in a in a bharatanatyam repertoire whereas a javali is a little more you know flamboyant and fun piece and yeah. then i um, did um, a kriti on the ashoka flower and of course the um, uh, 
uh, we usually start with a pushpanjali but i felt like we should start with an alaripu here because alaripu literally means the blossoming of the flower so i thought let the let's start with the blossoming of the flower and um, and even the movements of the alaripu were a little more uh, uh, in tune with concepts i had in mind which is that you know when see when the flower opens you see the stamen and the pistil which are the reproductive parts of the flower so inside the flower the stamen and the pistil coexist they exist together so you know it's about equality yes. and mutual interdependence of the of the masculine and the feminine and not that one is greater than the other ever right and every you know as the flower opens it's opening in all the eight directions and it's really looking like the flower is the each petal is doing a namaste to each of the eight directions or the ashtadiks so um, yeah so these are kind of some of the concepts that i tried to bring in uh, in the alaripu itself um, yeah and uh, and yes that was pretty much of course there was a tilana as well which is a, that's a long story because that tilana is the most i mean it's a beautiful um, uh, thought process that went into creating that tilana so yes yeah, so this is how i had the pieces structured and then i told you the same format with the music uh, i i had all my things um, planned and then i took it to my composer and he he composed all the pieces he composed and tuned the pieces and then um, yeah and then i presented it in november and thereafter i was fortunate to be able to do it in a lot of places after that how beautiful I I was just seeing the videos and I just saw so many connoisseurs commenting about it. I I really wish I could see the whole production there that day. Thank you. I really hope <laughs> to present it in Bangalore again because now these five years I've been able to, uh, you know, re-look at so many aspects of what uh, I had choreographed back then. And I think as a dancer, I've really changed in the last five years. So I would also love to you know rework it and hopefully present it in Bangalore again. Uh, so what projects are you currently working on? Could you tell something? Yeah. So right now I am working on quite a few digital projects because I really don't have visibility into you know live projects at this point. So I've you know parked everything that I was working on for um, for live work. Uh, i was supposed to come back to india this december and you know there was supposed to be quite a few performances but all of that oh. yeah so by the time uh, you know uh, the pandemic kicked in in march and then it almost by like april may you knew it's going to stick around for at least a year so by then i figured yeah. okay there's going to be no december jan feb performances anyway so i parked all my live work and i've been focusing only on doing um, a lot of digital work right which is of course still a lot of dancing yeah. it's just that the format is different because you know when you, you when you do digital work you're not looking at okay i need to do half an hour piece or a 10 minute piece the digital as i said attention span is so short i think beyond 5 minutes and people just zone out nobody's going to watch you know so much uh, content yeah and i mean that's unfortunate it's very unfortunate and especially for yeah. artists like us we really and me being a, you know i mean always being being been a stage performer i i really want to like create such a in, in depth work but then it's not the medium social media is not the medium for you know the work that you create on for stage right so i have dropped all my stage work for now and for the, in the digital space yes i've been exploring a lot of uh, compositions with my husband uh, we've really been picking up a lot of um, uh, rare poetry 
in different languages of course that's another thing we love doing you know delving into compositions from various uh, composers on in different parts of india different not just india everywhere else different languages that's something we we really are fascinated by so even the one that we did today that you saw it's very commonly yeah. sung it's really it's a very common piece i have not seen so many people dance it i don't know why i have not seen it least i'm sure there might have been and we have named this winter musings because it's something that you know we we are trying to do in the next couple of months we have some ideas so in the next 2 3 months you know by the time it's winter uh, in india and in the uk as well right now december jan and a little bit of that so we want to do these poetry and that's the idea you it's a paced in such a way and it's really kind of warm it 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 gives you some sense of warmth and that's what we are trying yes. to do at least evoke we are trying i'm not saying we're doing it we are trying to do it this is our current uh, digital exploration and then um, for the next uh, i mean december 19th i guess two weeks from now i've been commissioned by uh, yeah. an organization in the uk called sampad sampad has invited maven anna my mentor maven ko to uh, present uh-huh. uh, two dancers of his choice and he's one of the dancers he's presenting is me and in the for that commission uh, i've been working on um, a kind of um, It, it's a piece that is full on 100% shringaram but uh, interspersing lyrics from a tanja quartet varnam um, a tarangam of narayana teetha and uh, a verse from madhurashtakam this is a choreography of uh, mevenanna yeah so we uh, i've been working on this and he uh, w- he wanted sharan to sing this for me he didn't he said you know don't bother about finding music just get sharan to sing so the whole thing we've been you know working on together and we just recorded it you know a couple of days ago so that will be aired on the 19th of uh, uh december on the sampad arts uk page um that's on facebook i suppose yeah it's it's you know it's very interesting because you you know a performance is coming up but you know you've already finished performing for that performance it's not the same as as it is you know preparing for a live yeah. performance but yeah that's something that's something i've been um, intensely working on the last few weeks as well that's a new new piece again and uh, and yeah so this is pretty much the digital work is all i've been doing in terms of uh creating new work and i can't wait to actually you know start creating pieces for the stage i i am choreographing a tilana in a very rare uh, tala not rare complex tala i i will tell you more details once i have it ready <laughs> not counting chickens before they hatch i wanted to ask you uh, now that you're living in uk how is the ecosystem for dance over there oh it's wonderful so it's um ah. yeah so you know in, yeah uh, i was also a little worried about it before i moved here but the south asian arts which is you know all our indian art forms basically um the south asian yeah. art scene is very very vibrant and very positive here very encouraging um a lot of um, wonderful practitioners uh, it's a very nice kind of community driven sort of thing a lot of youngsters oh. doing good work and uh, there's a lot of funding and grant opportunities from the government so it's really a very thriving ecosystem in the uk and um, you know the, the only unfortunate part for me is i came here only last november and uh, yeah. it was already winter and december you know everyone's off it's christmas and everything and by the time you know yeah. jan feb i was slowly making contacts i was meeting people i was networking with people and then in march oh. the pandemic happened and ever since i've not been able to oh, do much no. yeah 
so that that way that's a little unfortunate for me personally because i've not been able to fully you know do what i wanted to do um, obviously nobody has been able to do what they wanted to do in the last few months but yeah you know uh, i'm i'm still waiting to uh, really go into london meet more dancers uh, meet more you know watch yeah. more performances but yeah i think that's something everyone is waiting for uh, what is the u- universality of our dance Uh, how easy or difficult uh, it is for you to perform in another country uh, what do you have to say you know it's a very interesting question sohini because this is something i i myself had a lot of questions about until a little while ago because i always felt you know people don't understand the language if they say if they don't understand the language how are they going to relate to it or if they don't understand yeah. mudras because especially bharatanatyam right is so mudra heavy you know we use so much of hastas every every time so for someone who doesn't understand you know what is a hasta for beautiful or what is a hasta for a mother or father how are they going to relate to it and that's a question i've always had uh, as well which is why i kind of started doing work on themes that are more you know understandable and i was very particular that i um, uh, announce all my pieces personally by myself not just you know read out from the background i you know show them show with hand gestures so when the same hand gestures come in the song at least they are able to make that association okay this means mother okay this means beautiful that's something i've been trying but after again after coming here and after just starting to train with mevin anna uh, he uh, he tells such a beautiful uh, uh, you know uh, way of looking at it because he says you perform a hardcore kshetraya padam whether it is in chennai in the midst of all that you know uh, traditional uh, space or whether you do it in a place like scotland when nobody is going to know who krishna is or rama is or whatever how are you going to hold the integrity of that piece right and that's when you know i think uh, he says uh, it's so beautiful the way he says people don't understand gestures or language but they understand moods and emotions and you know feelings they understand how you feel yeah so if you are doing a sakhi hai ashtapadi you feel love and desire if you are doing uh, you know a, a payadakshetra ya padam you feel loss and betrayal and separation you know so these these feelings are universal right yeah yeah these emotions yeah, yeah. are absolutely so- universal these are not i mean yes you will say bhakti dvaita advaita all these concepts which very very few will understand okay but you know when when you condense it and when you bring it down when you distill it to very simple terms like love desire sorrow uh, separation anxiety these are things that people understand irrespective you know of of their language or of uh, all they need to be able to is to see it so if we are able to somehow uh, in our developing our skill of abhinaya in developing see movement on the other hand is something that i think is universal you know when you do a nritta sequence whether you do kathak yes. or whether you do bharatanatyam i think it's it's you all all you communicate is the joy of it or the you know the intensity of it or the passion the of it yeah but the moment it comes to abhinaya it's very important that we you know uh, develop our skills to be able to bring forth the emotion that the piece demands in a convincing way that is universal so yeah so i think that's something i am working on currently and i think uh, all of us dancers should work on that yeah and not rely too much on hand yeah. gestures i also wanted to ask you what were your emotions when you just left india oh yeah i didn't know what i was going to do here because um i so 
so i i've moved of course when i moved here i knew that the scene is pretty good here i mean it's not like you know like um, like some nobody's land where nobody knows what what is indian classical art right people know that yeah. it's a very active community here and stuff so i knew you know i i would need to figure my way but there is a way it's not like i'm going to a country where there is absolutely no art and culture and you have to you know you have to then you, then it becomes a cause of worry not it's not a problem because if you really want to make your way you always can but it's the path is very difficult but you know when there are indian classical dancers around there is there is a possibility of doing work so when i came here my first the only thing that was on my mind was i need a space to practice every day because that i i had the luxury of that in india in my house and uh, so i yeah. like and and here in in countries like like the uk where it's very silent you can't really you know keep and if you're staying in an apartment obviously you can't keep tomping your floor and everything so i so the, the only thing that was on my mind was i need to be able to dance every day no matter what so i need to find a space i need to find a house that gives me that space <laughs> that is the only thing that was running in my mind when i came and again yeah i just i turned out lucky so that was what i thought about and then as i said i did want to you know find out how to how to connect with people how the ecosystem works here and i was just get to into it but by then the pandemic happened so most of the other things that i've been doing have been online but uh, then again i think um, as much as i was very worried about what would happen you know in terms of my dance training i've been so so fortunate to be able to train with nathan anna because it's been uh, you know my dream of a lifetime to train like this to attend class every day almost i've been i've been i'm very thankful for don't know how long because uh, see mevidana has been free now because you know um, all his uh, performance commitments and touring commitments are all you know indefinitely postponed which is why he's free now so uh, which is why it is it is really wonderful but uh, i just hope this you know goes on for not not the pandemic the possibility to train <laughs> the possibility to train this way <laughs> yeah. yeah the possible uh, the pandemic better end classical dance is uh, still relevant in the current scenario 100% see the word classical that's what classical becomes very subjective what is classical So I would say yeah. traditional Indian art forms are 100% um uh, significant yeah. relevant absolutely yeah absolutely Indian ayurveda and yoga has drawn attention from people around the globe now do you think that right. indian dance uh, form also can create such attention That's a very very lovely question again and um um I think also don't you feel that like people in India themselves yoga has become more popular in India after the west adopted it you know don't you, don't you feel that so true I, <laughs> yeah I completely agree yeah likewise with turmeric milk right i mean they call it turmeric latte in the uk and suddenly in india <laughs> suddenly in india it's like oh yeah oh it is our uh, turmeric uh, haldi doodh and it's our you know what is that manjal pal with pepper and all right it's so i feel it we are, we end up always banking on the west to adopt 
our uh, uh, way of life or art forms or whatever and then only it realizes we, we realize oh it's so oh, it's it's so valuable uh, because people in india were more about gymming and everything until the west took up yoga right yeah yes. so i think yes. um, i i i also i already see so many um, westerners uh, or foreigners take up uh, indian classical arts and pursue them very seriously maybe music or dance or whatever uh, but i don't i don't know if you know it will become a widespread movement because again yoga see is seen as a fitness module whereas dance is not seen as a fitness uh, i mean it's not seen as the as only a fitness uh, way right it's not it's not like a yeah. i mean it's so much more than that and many people think many people would feel oh you know what i can do a yoga workout but there's no way i can ever be a dancer so dance may not be everyone's cup of tea so i think we shouldn't be banking on um uh, I'm, i'm not saying we are banking on but i'm saying i don't think it matters whether it's adopted or not whoever takes up art to as as a practitioner of art needs to be uh, 100% committed to promoting it the right way amidst even whether even if it's in our own culture you know like i what worries me more is the number of indians moving away from indian classical arts <laughs> that worries me more than you know westerners adopting yeah. or not not adopting indian classical arts you know classical or traditional arts whatever yeah I mean, it's, it's because I, I I don't think I've answered your question, but I don't think there's an answer to the question. I think it's just a point of discussion. What do you miss most about India when it comes to dance? Oh, I miss performing on stage every week. Every like I remember when I was in India, my schedules were so packed. I was just dancing everywhere, and I was I was always on stage like every week. I remember oh. one weekend I'd be in this state, one weekend that state. I remember in the month of August last year, just two thousand nineteen, I had about six shows, and I was in six different states for six different shows over wow. one one month. And uh, I and I really 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 miss being on stage. Yeah, because. Um, I mean that becomes a, a part of who you are, right? So I miss that. But again, I'm I'm grateful to be able to you know dance every day, uh, no matter what. So yeah, I think it's okay. But I miss that, and I miss home. I miss my house. I miss uh, Bangalore weather. I miss um, yeah. I miss Chai Point. <laughs> but it's okay. I I I I've turned vegan now, so I can't have Chai Point chai unless they introduce um, uh, oat milk or something. talking about yeah. your uh, veganism uh, does this have to do anything yeah. with dancing in terms of health or staying fit or something like that so that's or not the reason i went vegan i went vegan uh-huh. solely because of you know we saw a documentary called uh, cowspiracy in fact we didn't even intend uh, to see cowspiracy we were seeing it because we were doing research for something on climate change for another project which we were supposed to do but as i said i was parked all of that you know until we can do uh do it live at yeah, a later yeah. point so around january because i was supposed to present a, a work on climate change in may and so january uh, around january we started doing research for that it was supposed to be a smaller work like about half an hour or something so we started research in jan and then uh, we said okay let's watch cowspiracy supposed to be a good documentary we both my both my husband and i we were watching it and there were there were such uh, the visuals visuals were so so difficult to see i mean you don't realize that see i've always been vegetarian okay but you we, we yeah, don't yeah. realize that the milk we consume has so much cruelty to it in fact we, uh, like for me and my yeah. husband we 
we were just vegetarians because our parents were vegetarians because you know we have just been brought up as vegetarians we never thought about why we were vegetarians but i know now yes. that the reason people are vegetarians is because they don't want animals to suffer they don't want that that thing of you know killing an animal and eating it now if the same thing yeah. is happening in in the process of me consuming dairy how how different is it is what you know we started in the, the minute we saw that uh, documentary that very that very uh, night we said that's it we are not buying anything anymore the milk that's there in our fridge after it's done we are going to switch out completely so uh, it's it's good because uh, so so that was the reason we changed it was not because of health or fitness or anything else that was the reason yeah. because we did not want to contribute to that kind of violence anymore ever um yeah yes. so that's that's why we we went vegan both of us and i i i think it's like also in our culture where i mean we respect our an, uh, animals and everything so much and then you see this and you just you just that is my point we say we we are a, we are a nation which is why that hypocrisy bugs me i mean i'm being very candid the hypocrisy bugs not just me both of us because we say we are a nation that respects cows and then you are raping cows for for, for milk because only if they are pregnant they get milk so how is this respect it's unfortunate that we don't see we we don't see it so we don't know it but if we if we if we want to take and make an effort and see what's happening really we will know and then and then we make a conscious choice whether we want to we want to it's okay you know, and that's fine i've had friends who completely say you know what i can't change okay fine as long as you've accepted it that's fine let's not be ignorant to to what happening with us yeah and let's not be hypocrites um one advice you cannot forget and one hmm. so one advice um <laughs> so see i have very poor memory which means i don't remember things that have happened you know like two years from the past okay so i call it uh, <laughs> i call it uh, what is that long term memory loss okay not short term but long term <laughs> memory loss so if you ask me like what happened oh, two years ago this is what happened i wouldn't even remember i, would, I don't remember conversations so i can only tell you yeah. this I, i'm sure i've got lot of good advice but i'm only telling you from the recent past okay because that's all i remember yeah so um uh, maybe nana repeatedly mentions in class it's not about you know being 100% perfect it's about you know especially with 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 britta and everything right like we're always behind that oh i need to be perfect oh lines oh this or that it's about living in the moment and just being so you train as much you train you train to be perfect but at, you know you just got to let go let go of that ego to be perfect let go of that um, ego to be the best just just be just dance and just be so yeah so i think that's a beautiful piece of advice that i tried to follow yeah. So I hope this interview with Divya Ravi was insightful and hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. For more information, log on to our website www.kalatapasya.com. We will catch up soon on our next episode where we shall be bringing more interesting stories from performing artists of India.